The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, October 7th. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Radio Network. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blast Off Studios in Times Square. Uh, I have a raspy voice this morning, so please bear with me. It's not going to sound as good as Ivy Ray, but what could I tell you? Anyway, today I will be talking to the founder, chief executive, and president of Modern Spaces, a residential brokerage firm based in Long Island City, Queens. His name is Eric Benane, and he is here with me in the studio this morning. I will also have my panel of experts with me in the second half of the program to discuss our weekly hot topics. We'll get back to Eric in a minute, but first, a few news items. Uh, more news on the town residential front. Andrew Heiberger is retaking the reins there, replacing business partner Joseph Sitt as CEO effective immediately. Heiberger founded town in 2010 and rapidly grew the company into one of the city's largest residential firms. Sitt will remain co-chairman, but as CEO, Heiberger will take over the day-to-day operations at the 600-unit firm from President and COO Jeff Appel, who left last week. Silver Cup Cup Properties, the development division of film and TV production company Silver Cup Studios, filed plans for a 26-story apartment building in Long Island City. The 145,000-square-foot building at 2721 44th Drive between Sunnyside Yard and Jackson Avenue is set to hold 115 apartments. Apartments will average under 1,000 square feet, and pricing is still being determined. Real estate giant Bill Rudin said demand is strong for condominiums at the Greenwich Lane residence that he is co-developing, and while he thinks the product is unique, he also sees a broader wave of people relocating to lower Manhattan. Quote, there's a broader trend in terms of urbanism. You're seeing people coming into New York City wanting to work in New York City and live in New York City, Rudin told Bloomberg TV. It's a huge trend that people want that urban experience. A new residential brokerage firm has hit the streets of New York City recently. William Ravis, New York City, which is the Northeast brokerage giant's 100th office, now has 15 agents and are trying to attract star power brokers and is recruiting heavily. Only time will tell how things will work out for them. The Rosaria Candela Design 834 Fifth Avenue is one of the most expensive and exclusive buildings in New York City. The list of former and current residents includes Rupert Murdoch, Charles Schwab, Lawrence Rockefeller, and Harold Prince, but it never really included Woody Johnson, though as the New York Jets owner and Johnson & Johnson heir, because he never actually lived in the duplex he owns on the building's 11th and 12th floors, opting instead for a different lavish apartment he owns at 1 Central Park West. Now, Johnson has put his 834 Fifth Avenue apartment on the market quietly, as one does. He is reportedly asking $75 million, which would break the New York co-op record, that was set at 740 Park Avenue last month. 
The listing for Johnson's apartment lacks photos or floor plans, but the description gives a sense of what's inside. Maybe it will be updated this week. Anyway, I'd like to say good morning to Eric. Good morning. Good morning, Vince. Thank you for being here. Good to see you again. Thank you for having me. So $75 million for a co-op on Fifth Avenue. What what is that about? I mean, what what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a little uh, crazy, to be honest, Um, for a co-op especially. Um, I'm not sure how many $75 million buyers are out there, to be perfectly honest. But uh, time it, will tell. But especially in the co-op market. I mean, for condominiums, you know, we, we and we'll talk about this a little later. We sort of price, you know, for a global market more than a New York City market. But on the co- on the co-op side, it's kind of like who is going to spend seventy five million dollars, or better said, who's going to qualify to pass the board with that kind of um, with that kind of uh, purchase price? Exactly, because probably most person who's probably going to buy a seventy five million dollar apartment is a foreign investor or foreign buyer. And a lot of them probably wouldn't even qualify or probably won't even understand the concept of a co-op. Well, as you said a minute ago, let's, uh, time will tell and we'll see how that happens. So let me ask you something. You know, <clears throat> I ask a lot of my guests the same question. What inspired you to enter the world of real estate way back when and why? What is it about this profession that gets you out of bed in the morning with you know, focus and direction? Um, well, I, before real estate, I was in a different uh, industry. I was in event production industry, and then 9-11 happened, and obviously nobody wanted to celebrate or have any events. Um, my family, who are small landlords in the outer boroughs, my father kind of pushed me to get uh, my real estate license, and uh, to be perfectly honest, in the beginning, I really didn't even like it. Um, I thought it was like a short-term thing, um, but once I started getting into the luxury market, I kind of liked it a lot better. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. So you started as a real estate agent then? Correct, yes. Okay. And you really didn't like it because income is not there right away? or it's because, I guess junk. because income wasn't there right away. I mm-hmm. was uh, doing – I was with a small company in the city called Ardor, uh, New York. I remember them, yeah. Uh, and then I was at City Habitats after that, and I was doing like $1,500 rental walk-ups and $2,000 rental walk-ups. It really wasn't that glamorous. <laughs> It's not that glamorous, and, and look where you are today. But anyway, so you you went from doing that to starting your own business. And what's interesting to me is when I was doing some research the other day uh, prior to meeting you, you started your business in 2008 during the worst financial collapse ever. Were you optimistic at that time that you could survive You know that period of time? Because i got to tell you something. At the time, I was a real estate agent, as I still am. And you know, I wasn't quite sure – that I was going to be able to stay in this business because for the longest time, as you know, uh, deals just were not happening. And we just didn't know, you know how long it was going to take to dig out of this financial crisis because, at least in my real estate experience, the financial crisis seemed to have been uh, like the worst we had ever seen. So were you optimistic that starting a company, you were going to actually survive this and, and, and go forward? When I was building a company, yes. We opened up our doors in the middle of August um, our website wasn't even up yet, and by the time our website was up, uh, Lehman had crashed. Um, our website probably launched maybe four, five, six weeks later after we opened up our doors. Um, and then when Lehman crashed, it just it literally it was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. We were getting people in our doors wanting to break leases, and I've ne- I've heard stories of like the. The, the market crash of like the 20s, and that's kind of like what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. I remember a little bit of like the 1989-90 uh, crash, um, but this was pretty much, uh, it felt like what you see in the movies of like 1920s. So when you so when you say you open the doors, you know, uh, in that August time frame, how many people did you have on board in your first office? It was me, my business partner, Ted, and we had one agent. 
And that was pretty much it. So how did you survive? I mean, people knocking on your doors, wanting to break their leases, people not coming through the doors, wanting to start new leases, or even entertain potentially purchasing a, a co-op or a condo. What was the mindset that, that you know, you said to yourself, okay, we are going to survive. And then how did you survive? I mean, well, I, I questioned myself, as I said earlier, I didn't know what was going to happen. Well, I guess going full circle back to where I started in Art and Realty, uh, I started to survive by going back to doing those $1,200 rentals, those $1,500 walk-ups, because that's what people wanted to pay. Right. No, but they wanted to get out of their three, $4,000 leases, and you know they were scared, so they wanted to do something more affordable. So going back to basics basically is, basically. is what you deployed. Yeah. Smart. Now, your firm just opened its sixth office, and it's the second one in Astoria. Why two in Astoria? I mean, what, what's going on in Astoria? Astoria is a really big neighborhood. Uh, it's very wide. Um, there's a lot of things going on, much like Williamsburg has a north side and the south side. It's the same thing with uh, Astoria. Uh, so with this new office on 30th Avenue, uh, we will pretty much have an office on both sides of Astoria. We're working on a lot of new uh, projects in Astoria. It's uh, it's it's in our eyes, it's kind of like becoming a Williamsburg version in Queens. What is the housing stock like in Astoria? For example, you know, when we talk about the Manhattan marketplace, okay, the New York marketplace, excuse me, we pretty much think about first and foremost Manhattan. And then we go to to Brooklyn. And as I said last week on the radio program uh, with my panel, Queens is now the new Brooklyn. Not that it never existed. It did. But now it's sort of like the new Brooklyn. It is so much the place to be. <clears throat> but explain to the listening audience, if you can, Eric, a little bit about what the housing stock is like. What can people find in housing in Astoria? Forget forget Long Island City, you know, but in Astoria, because it is such a very popular, young and cultured place to be these days. But what are you going to find there? Sure. Well, you have everything in Astoria. You have everything from co-ops to single-family houses to uh, the new, I guess, sexy-type-looking uh, condos. Um, but you can buy a co-op or... Probably three hundred, four hundred thousand in Astoria right now. Uh, you that's can, a one bedroom, or that's like a one bedroom. Okay, uh, you can get a single family house uh, for about seven hundred and fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand right now in Astoria on a nice block. Um, and a new condo, new condos are probably right now at about the eight hundred and fifty dollars a square foot range. Um, so you can get a thousand square foot uh, two bedroom for about eight hundred, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And the neighborhood is like. It's a very eclectic neighborhood. It's about 15 minutes to uh, Manhattan. You have Obviously, you have the best Greek food in all of New York, um, but you have a, a lot of uh, great other cuisines over there as well. It's a, one of the, I think it's the, it's the largest public swimming pool in New York, and one of the largest public parks are in New York in Astoria and Astoria Park. Um, so you have a lot going on over there. And so your second office kind of makes up, like the, you said before, the one on the north side, one on the south side, to, to take on the, the entire area of Astoria. How many agents does your company currently have in all six of your offices? We have about 80. <laughs> uh, each, of our, each of our offices, uh, our storefront offices, and each one houses between 15 and 20 agents. And we just mentioned this a little while ago. You know, uh, As discussed previously on this program, Queens is becoming the new Brooklyn. How is this happening and why? Now, we just talked a little bit about some of the, the, the housing stock uh, in Astoria, but what is really moving this movement more towards Queens than, say, Brooklyn or Manhattan? Is it just pricing? It's a little bit more. I think people, they used to have this negative tone about Queens. You know, when you ask somebody 
in uh, where you live, and if they live in Brooklyn, they say Brooklyn. They don't say I live in Williamsburg or Brown or uh, Brooklyn Heights. But when you say where you live in Queens, they won't say Queens. They'll say Long Island City or Astoria. Um, so it's kind of like it's 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 uh, stepped away from being a negative tone, Queens, and. Obviously, pricing, with the pricing of Manhattan being so much, people were moving into Brooklyn, but now Brooklyn prices are so much. They're kind of more open to coming into Queens. Uh, Queens has been getting a lot of uh, good press over the last couple of years. Uh, it's, there's a lot of cultural destinations in Queens. You have MoMA, PS1, you have Noguchi, you have Socrates Sculpture Park. You have a lot of different, uh, a lot of culture going on in Queens as well. And it's very diverse, and it's really close to uh, Midtown. And um, from what I understand, a lot of the, the newer, younger folks coming out of college who want to start out in New York City but can't necessarily afford Manhattan will look towards Astoria or probably not even Long Island City, but but more towards Astoria because it's a little more affordable, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Astoria rents right now. You can probably get uh, like a walk-up. You can probably get for like 1600 a nice new building. That's for a one-bedroom. A nice new building, you can get a one-bedroom for like 2000 you guys deal at all with Forest Hills? I mean, Forest Hills, from what I know of, is being is really a beautiful, <coughs> excuse me, beautiful uh, neighborhood. Uh, but it's it's a little further out and it's a little further away that you know to commute into Manhattan. I think. Do you guys deal with them at all? I used to actually live in Forest Hills. Uh-huh. We actually just launched a project a couple weeks ago in Rigo Park, which is a neighborhood right next door to Forest Hills called Rigo Modern. It's a thirty-eight unit rental project, and uh, you can get like a one bed, a brand new luxury brand, uh, modern. One bedroom for about eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Uh, we've got about two minutes before we go to break, though. But the school in general, how are the schools uh, in Queens compared to uh, in Manhattan or even say in Brooklyn? Not necessarily the private schools, but the public school system in Queens. How is that? How does that compare? Well, in Long Island, I could speak pretty much for Long Island City. Long Island City, we have probably one of the best schools systems in uh, in all of New York. We have we got a grade A. From what is it, InsideSchools.org or InsideParents.org? Um, our it's it's really coveted. Our school we have it's PS two sixteen uh, and PS seventy eight, uh, and it's it's people are dying to get into those schools. I've heard about PS seventy eight. So, um, what about the private schools? Is it as frenetic as it is here in Manhattan to get kids into private schools for those who don't want to go to public school or for those who don't want to send their kids to public school? It's almost a nightmare the application process here in Manhattan. How does that so we only have one actual public, uh, private school, a Montessori school, mm-hmm. uh, which just opened up probably this past semester or last semester. Um, and then we have a lot of daycare centers, and the daycare centers are a little crazy to get into. Um, they're probably a lot more affordable than they are, what they are in Manhattan, um, but they're really good schools. Again, uh, you have everybody from uh, little ones to lollies to – I mean, there's a variety. It's like a, it's like the daycare center business in Long Island City is probably one of the biggest booming businesses. All right. Let's hold it right there. We'll be right back. We have to take a break. But first, you were listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice of America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. 
Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. We're back with Eric Benane, and I wanted to say um, thank you for being here again. Thank you. We were talking about Astoria, but let's talk a little bit about Long Island City, okay? So you have an office there as well. Um, this is an area of Queens that, you know, when I hear of Queens, this is what pops into my mind right away because it seems to be so hot, and everybody's talking about it. The new development there is spectacular, whether it's rental, whether it's uh, condo. You and I were talking a little bit before the show started about the beautiful waterfront there. What is drawing people to Long Island City? It's in well, mass. Sure. Well, uh, one of the main things is its proximity to Manhattan. Literally, uh, you Very get on close. A, yeah, it's four, literally four minutes. Uh, so you're either four minutes, depending where you are in Long Island City, either four minutes from Grand Central Station or you're four minutes from 53rd and Lex. So whichever air neighborhood, sub neighborhood in Long Island City you're in, you're about four minutes from Midtown. So that's one of the main reasons. Uh, it's a $7 cab ride to Midtown. Um, so it's, 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 Proximity is one of them. And now it's, you know, in the beginning, probably when I first opened up the office, you had to really sell the neighborhood, what's coming on, what's coming online, what's opening up. You don't really need to do that anymore. It's, uh, it's here. Um, we have about 11 acres of waterfront park that's beautiful. 11 acres. Really? Yeah. It's, I mean, you, it's a picture po- uh, postcard view. Um, and great schools, as we spoke about, uh, and then culture again. You have uh, some of the great museums and art institutions are based in Long Island City. Um, I'm an avid supporter of the arts, so I love that. Do you live in Long Island City? I live in Long Island City. Do you see, with all of that, do you see an oversaturation there or, or about to happen there, or is that an over-exaggeration? No, I think it's an over-exaggeration. I, you'd be shocked at the numbers. I tell you, and usually a building opens up, like you have a TF Cornerstone or Rock Rose or a lot of these big developers that, that open up buildings, uh, and they rent out many, maybe anywhere from 30 to 50 units a week. Um, and the absorption rate is is really spectacular over there. I think TF Cornerstone opened up a building, uh, a 585-unit building, their last in their main project on the waterfront, and the first two months, they rented out half of that building. Uh, in two months, it just shows you the demand. The demand is, is clearly there. That's quite amazing. Wow, two it, months. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, with a company of about 80 agents and a company now with six offices, you know, spread across, you know, the, that region, you obviously are doing something right and you're, you're, you are successful and the firm is successful. So my question to you is how do you find good agents and what is it that you're looking for when you're recruiting Agents, because as we all know, who do this, you know, in our spare time, uh, it's not an easy task. What do you look for, and how do you find these these people who are going to continue your success? We look for more. We kind of have a family environment, so we look for somebody who I guess meshes well with our family. Um, somebody, you know, I don't really need to have an agent who's a rock star who's going to come in. 
uh, with his nose up in the air. I'd rather have somebody who makes less, but that gets along with everybody. Uh, and we kind of keep an environment like that. We're casual, no suit uh, policy in our office. Um, but uh, we, we're very dedicated to customer service. We have uh, people coming in all the time, stopping in the streets. Oh, I had a great experience with your agent. I had a great experience with your agent. And we're also, we do a lot of stuff for the community. We're involved in like various organizations and charities. And- I wanted to ask you about that because I believe that that is also very helpful in, in branding yourself as a firm and getting that name and that reputation out there. What is it that you actually are doing for the community? Well, we do. We support pretty much almost every art organization in the neighborhood. Um, we like in a couple of weeks is Halloween, so uh, we're uh, one of the main sponsors of a children's Halloween parade. Every year, we have a, a photo booth uh, in our office, uh, and we bring a superhero and we lead a march parade that starts in the waterfront park. And we have about maybe six, seven hundred kids in our office lined up for photographs with a superhero. Uh, we give out, I don't know how many, hundreds or maybe even thousands of pounds of candy. Mm. Um, I mean, that's just one little thing we do. I, I also serve on the board of the LIC Partnership, uh, which is uh, affiliated with the bid, uh, and we do a lot of things. We're, uh, working with the city, everything from uh, making sure the streets are clean to the banners on the light posts to... Uh, the wayfinding maps and uh, different. We do a lot of events. Also, we had our first this year our LIC summit at the Museum of Moving Image, um, which is pretty much educating a lot of people uh, about Long Island City and the market. Um, but we do a, a various types of things in Long Island City. Your company recently announced a new commercial arm. What are your thoughts there? What do you pl- What do you want to do with the commercial division? of modern spaces. Sure, yeah. So we brought on a team from another firm uh, to start on start up the investment property and commercial division. Uh, right now they're focused on uh, Queens. Uh, this team has about maybe 10 years experience in Queens. Um, did, and you buy, did you buy this company? No, no, no. no, I brought it from a... I brought it from a different firm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and uh, so they've had a lot of experience in the neighborhood and, well, I should say in the borough. Um, and with the prices of Brooklyn and Manhattan with investment properties and commercial skyrocketing, we're starting to see a surge of now these buyers or investors coming into Queens. And there's not really a firm that's focused specifically on Queens. So this commercial division focus will be primarily in Queens, not outside for, of the borough. For now, we're focusing <coughs> in Queens. And as we grow, we'll have probably other other boroughs as well. But for now, our focus is in Queens. Can you talk a little bit about the luxury market? You know, we've spent weeks on this program talking about the luxury market here in Manhattan because obviously, and later on the program with my panel, I'm going to talk about a, a, a penthouse on Park Avenue in a new development that's coming on the market or is on the market for $130 million. I mean, sometimes I can't even get these numbers out of my mouth. It's just so staggering. So we focus a lot in Manhattan on the luxury marketplace because it, it just seems to be where a lot of that is happening. But in Queens, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, you know, what is the luxury market like in Queens, whether it's Astoria, whether it's Forest Hills, whether it's Long Island City, or whether it's anywhere? What is that market like, and what are some of the numbers that, that would get someone's attention when you, when you underscore the word luxury in Queens? Sure. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we have a couple of listings I can give you an example. One is actually uh, in a building I live in called Aris Lofts. We have a unit on the seventh floor. It's about 2,400-square-foot loft. The three bedrooms, sixteen foot ceilings. Uh, they put about two hundred and fifty thousand dollar kitchen and upgraded into the apartment, uh, and it has uh, about twenty five hundred square feet of outdoor space. Uh, and oh, of outdoor space too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's it, pretty large, uh, and that, and this is a full service building, doorman, concierge, swimming pool. 
pretty much any amenity you can think of is in the building. Uh, and that we're, we're asking 3.2. Whoa. So, I mean, that's probably comparable for somebody who's looking for an amazing loft in like Chelsea or Tribeca or Soho. Now, interesting. I just want to stop you there for a second because we're going to also talk to the panel later on in the program about lofts and what really – because everybody has a different definition of loft. So when you say Aris Loft, your building, we're talking about a, a loft apartment, okay? Not, is, not the old world, the original, you know, whatever, but a, a, a newer version of an actual loft apartment. Correct. This is a conversion. It used to be the Eagle Electric Factory. Correct. Um, and it converted it to uh, 237 real lofts, um, you know, concrete slab floors. Um, this unit has wood floors, but concrete slab floors underneath it. Sure. Um, and 16-foot ceilings. Um, it's a corner unit, so it has three exposures. Um, and again, for 3.2, probably a similar unit in Chelsea, I would assume, would probably go for about 6 or $7 million. Um, so you're, you're really, and it's again, probably 15 minutes from Chelsea. All right. So you're 50% away from, you know, you know, double the number, you know, in, in Manhattan. So in your opinion though, how long do you think it's going to take to get to that five to say $7 million number at either Aris Loft or another 2,500 square foot loft interior? Wow. 24, 25 inside, 25 outside. That's pretty spectacular. But so anyway, how long does it, do you think it's going to take to get up to that five and $6 million mark? Because I bet you two years ago, you weren't talking these numbers, 3.5 or 3.6. No, two years ago, I mean, a big whale of a buyer in Long Island City was probably looking for like the one seven to 2 million. Okay. Okay. And now we're seeing buyers out there from three to three and a half million, excuse me, maybe a little bit more. I would think probably in the next year or so, we're probably going to see the $5 million buyer. Isn't that something? And so where, you know, where are these buyers coming from? That's my next question on the luxury side because as we've read the press you know, all this year and even back to last year, all the foreign buyers, all the foreign investors, the Chinese, the Russians, the Brazilians – uh, now I'm hearing things about the Russians coming back to the table again. So that's pretty much what has been buying up the Manhattan luxury market, okay? Are these similar people who are buying or that would buy something like this for 3.5 or 3.6 million in Queens? Or where are they coming from? So we're getting a lot of Chinese buyers. Chinese, okay. Um, probably I would say about 50% of our buyers are Chinese. Um, and they're either coming from <clears throat> China, Manhattan, or we're also getting a lot from Flushing. So flushing is a market that is going to explode uh, in the next probably six to eight months. Flushing's uh, always been a very Asian-oriented um, marketplace, though, correct? <coughs> correct. Okay. It's uh, probably 90, 98% Chinese, 1% to 2% Korean. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, in the pipeline, we're working on about 1,100, no, actually 1,300 units in flushing. Um, Rental or condo, condos, condos. Wow. and those okay. were projecting at about nine hundred dollars a square foot. Uh, Flushing is also a market where seventy eight percent of the buyers are all cash, um, so only twenty two percent are actually getting financing. And what we're seeing in Long Island City is the people <clears throat> who grew up who have businesses in Flushing, their kids now who are in the maybe thirties or forties or late twenties, and they don't want to live in Flushing. They want to live in Manhattan, but they probably can't afford the Manhattan prices. Um, so they're coming to Long Island City, and they like the new modern buildings, uh, and they love being around the waterfront and the parks and everything like that. So they're the ones who are coming and buying in Long Island City, which kind of like, uh, which is one of the reasons probably why we're focusing on flushing now. We're we're about to be giving them a product over there 
that is similar or if not greater than what we have in Long Island City, hoping to also keep a lot of those people over there if they have the product. Thinking about 2014 and the way you know things have changed, and we've got a couple of minutes left before the end of the segment, what are your predictions for 2015? Where do you think you're going to see this marketplace? And let's 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 stick to your your um, your region at the moment, Queens, uh, and all as, uh, aspects of Queens. Where do you see uh, that market in 2015 compared to what we've gone through in 2014? I'll give you an example. Uh, we're releasing this week our, our quarterly market report. In our last quarter, we showed the average price per square foot in Long Island City for condos were 940. In this quarter, you know, three months later, it's just over a thousand, so it's gone up five percent in a quarter. Uh, and uh, I'm seeing that in 2015, we're probably going to see the 1,200 to 1,500 dollar. Uh, a mark per square foot price range uh, in Long Island City, and that's going to translate other parts of Queens. So in Astoria, probably 900, and then further out, it's going to slowly go up to maybe seven or 800 in other parts of Queens as well. Quickly, are you concerned with the standoff that seems to be happening now between buyer and seller? No, we don't really see that too much in, in Queens. Okay. Um, people know that asking price is the asking price, and that's pretty much what, what they pay. Okay, Eric Benin, thank you so much for being with us today. I enjoyed our conversation. Please come back and talk to us again. Thank you, Vince. We will be right back after these messages. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. I want to say thank you once again to Eric Benaim for joining us from Modern Spaces, the the owner and president of that company in Queens, very successful company, and um, a good education this after this morning, rather, on uh, the Queens market. I have a little bit of a sore throat, so if I sound raspy, I apologize. But anyway, we're here with my panel uh, coming up, Deborah Hoffman, Perul Brumbat, Rachel Altshuler, Nell Lundgren. So good morning, everybody, and thanks for being here today. Good morning, Vince. Good morning. So we want to talk a little bit about um, some of these these hot topics of the week. You know, the, the recently announced $130 million uh, penthouse in Nile. I know you were on um, television this week or last week, rather, 
uh, giving some opinions on that. Also, you know, the New York City townhouse market, is it undervalued when you look at the price comparisons between the very high luxury condo price per square foot and then townhouses? We want to understand also what makes a true loft and where do you find them? You know, Eric and I were just talking a little bit about a loft uh, building in Queens, but sometimes people don't have the terminology correct. Uh, in what a real loft is. And then lastly, you know, the Upper West Side boom. We've, we talk about a neighborhood every couple of weeks here. And not that it's any news, new news or a surprise, but the Upper West Side seems to have been very popular this year for lots of reasons, and we want to go through some of those. But let's start with the townhouse market being undervalued. The price spread between townhouses and condos is widening thanks to the explosion of the luxury condos in recent years. Guys, why do you think that we can't price townhouses today per price per square foot the way we can condos and and let let's 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 trim that down to um just for you know ease of talk here this morning to new luxury development condos well right off the bat vince you're going to see in luxury developments you know uh, amenities pools roof decks concierge doorman um, elevators in the building when you're looking at townhouses you don't have any of those amenities and if you do you know, the uh, the buyer would have to you know put a pool in or or convert the uh, the the townhome somehow. And again, if you're looking at a condo, condos have multiple floors that go up higher. So the higher you get up in condos, the better views you have. And generally, light and air is restricted in townhomes. I agree with Niall 100 percent. In addition, when you have a townhouse, there are things you have to think about that you don't have to think about at all in luxury development. You have to worry about up upkeeping the grounds, upkeeping the roof, and shoveling snow, things like that that you don't have to think about in a high-end condo. But, but, but let me ask you this, <clears throat> because I agree with both of you 100%, but, but let me ask you this, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, because when you think about you know, private home living, which in this town we call townhouses uh, or brownstones, you know, how do we factor in the privacy element? Because, you know, when you live in a building, a high-rise, luxurious building, everybody sees you coming and going. I mean, there's a, a lack of privacy. And when you're in a, in, a, in a house, you have that privacy. Now, also with that said, as we know, sometimes, most often, the people who buy these homes are celebrities, are big corporate CEOs and CFOs, people who have lots of money, and they really kind of want their privacy. My question to you guys is... Isn't there a price for that? I mean, isn't there a premium to be paid for that? Now, listen, I'm not going to suggest that townhouses are cheap. I just sold one this year for $17 million. I know that they're not. But, again, when you look at the price per square foot, something doesn't jive. Isn't there a premium or price to be paid for privacy? Well, there's an interesting thing that you bring up regarding privacy. Um, A lot of townhouses don't feel as private because they are at street level. Um, I've had buyers who have liked the idea of a townhouse and were willing to even take on sort of the maintenance aspect of it. But the two things that sort of deterred them, one was, in fact, a privacy issue. Um, in fact, three things I would say. The second is um, in for anyone who is high profile, they like feeling the security of having a doorman or somebody who sort of is there literally guarding uh, who can and cannot come into their home or whatnot. And so there is a safety element. And then the third is the townhouses tend to be not as wide um, very often. So even 
a wider townhouse is considered to be 25 feet wide. Uh, when you look at that sort of a floor plate um, and the type of layout that you get, a lot of times um, it's not the ideal layout. And to get a townhouse that is much wider, you're then definitely looking at a very different price point. I think the, the last variable is the amount of work that most likely will have to go into a townhouse. Um, most of them haven't been updated in a very long time. And they're beautiful and they're charming uh, the reality is you typically have to put in a lot of money to update it to the condition that you'd be happy in. So a lot of buyers actually turn off. They fall in love with it, but then they do the numbers and they realize, wow, this is a lot of work. Let me just buy something that's just easier, um, move-in ready, and easier to maintain with a super or a doorman. So safe to say, then, that the townhouse, you know, uh, is not for everybody, but it is certainly for somebody, regardless of privacy or regardless of pricing. Sometimes it's just a style of living, just like people like lofts, just like people like condos, just like people prefer co-ops. In this town, there are lots of them. But interesting, over the past few years, developers have recognized, though, the potential profitability that the townhouse market has to offer and has given buyers the best of both worlds. New construction and newly renovated townhouses. So developers are looking, they're focusing on new new construction buildings, as we all know and are all very well aware of in this town, and now buying townhouses, renovating them, and putting them up for sale. My question, will there ever be, and this is just for my own amusement this morning, will there ever be a time in New York City where a townhouse will sell for $100 million? Could be. We never now? thought we'd uh, see apartments selling for that much. On the upper side earlier this year? For for just just a hundred million or just shy of that, for a house. Yeah, there's a townhome that I believe was uh, Terry Chang and I think a couple guys from Element were working with uh, with a Saudi buyer and they had it in contract, but I think it fell through. But it was close to a hundred million. Okay, so the thinking is side. That, yes, we can get to that $100 million mark. And I think, Deborah, you were going to chime in and say, whoever thought that we'd sell an apartment for $100 million. So, anyway. Absolutely. You know, listen, and for, for my listeners around, you know, the nation and around the world, it, it, you know, I'm sure you find this quite fascinating. These numbers are astronomical, but unfortunately, they do exist and they are real. And this is New York City. So a perfect segue to the next topic is the $100 million penthouse. Now, you were on Bloomberg News last week, you know, expounding about this. So, you know, what the Zeckendorfs are building a new construction at 520 Park Avenue, and there will be a 12,000-square-foot penthouse spanning the top three floors, and they're listing it for $130 million. That's about $10,488 per square foot. What is this about? Well, I, I think this is just showing that the $100 million-plus mark is becoming a new territory for New York City real estate. And, you know, there's the Ritz that, that came out in 520 Park. There's all the new developments that are happening. And, you know, when you look at New York compared to some of the global um, developments that have gone up, the One Hyde Park, the penthouse sale there for $237 million, and then the penthouse that's at the Torodion, Monaco's tallest residential tower, that's listed just shy of $400 million. You look at $130 million you know, triplex on park, and it, it seems a little cheap comparatively. So, Niall, basically what I'm going to call from that is these developers today in these uber luxury buildings are really pricing for the global market. They're not pli- uh, pricing, 
units like this for the New York City marketplace because, quite frankly, you know, there aren't that many buyers locally who would step up to that challenge. These are foreign international buyers, investors uh, who have that kind of money. So are you in agreement, guys, that this is we, – we, when we see these, these luxury pricing prices, that this is being done for, for a global reason and not necessarily for a local one? I never thought of it, but I think you're right now that you mention it. It makes 100% sense. I mean, you I know, think, listen. I think so, too. I think the developers are smart. They're recognizing that the global super rich is looking to, you know, park cash in the New York City market, and they're catering directly to that. Correct. And, and you know, as we've talked about many times on this program, and Eric and I just chatted a little while ago, you know, the Chinese buyer, the Russian buyer, the Brazilian buyer, the foreign buyer in general are the ones that are coming into this marketplace with that kind of money to spend. A, I'd like to ask the question of these folks, where does this money come from? B, you know, what is it that you do to earn this kind of money? And C, I know the reason they're buying here in New York City because we've talked about it many times on this program. It makes best sense, you know, from a tax perspective and and a lot of other reasons. But I think these developers have these people in mind because, you know, I think every one of these high-priced $80, $90, $100 million units that have sold so far. They've all gone to foreign investors with the exception of one at 157 uh, West 57th Street. That was supposedly a local buyer, but no one seems to know who that person is. And maybe we'll find that out someday. Maybe we won't. Um, There is – what was I going to say? There's a boutique building with only – oh, yeah, this is a boutique building that we're talking about with only 31 apartments and many are single-floor units starting at $16 million and seven duplexes starting at $67 million. So when I look at these prices for this new building uh, at 520 Park Avenue, I would assume that most of the buyers here will come from – foreign lands. I mean, I can't imagine anybody buying a duplex for $67 million. That's, you know, just someone who works locally here in New York. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Any comments on that? I think only time will tell. Yeah, I think so too. Let's talk about, we have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Let's talk about, you know, what makes a true loft and where do you find them? In theory, owning an airy open loft is a buyer's dream, but is loft living really as glamorous as it is? First, Let's define what a loft is and talk about a few of the good and bad points. And where do you find them? You know, everybody thinks that you're only going to find them in certain areas in this, in this city. But, you know, you can find them in a lot of different places. What, how do we really define a loft? To many New Yorkers, loft is not truly a loft unless it has a prior life as a commercial space, manufacturing space, warehouse, or office before being converted to an apartment. So... Guys, you know, what are your thoughts on on this type of housing stock? Because as we work with clients, people shy away from them, people love them, and people don't want them or whatever. What do you, what, what do you see in your business where lofts are concerned? Very important, I think. Well, it's well, I think my favorite lofts, type of you know, apartment, one, frankly, everyone wants to live in a loft. such a small part of the market. Um, I think that a loft is generally, I mean, an actual loft is a larger space that is, let's you mention, Vince, um, more industrial in nature at some point in, in its history. And um, personally, I mean, I just, I love the history of loft, loft buildings because I think one of the first musicals I ever saw was Rent. And really, Rent sort of exemplifies sort of where those loft spaces came from, like in the 70s and the 80s. They really Absolutely. were these sort of abandoned buildings that were um, that were occupied by artists and musicians. 
sometimes not even with their running water or bathrooms. And then the city converted these buildings and these spaces to become actually livable for this this group of people. And then, of course, through the 90s and onwards, it just became such a preferred style of living um, and, and a sort of an aesthetic that people preferred because of big windows and high ceilings and open airy spaces and certain industrial details. It's what all the new developments are striving to look like. I mean, it's funny when you look at, you know, 2,000 a square foot plus, all the developers are doing higher ceilings and larger windows and open spaces and great rooms. So for me, in my opinion, lofts are the ideal for New York City. I mean, that's just nothing gets me more excited, to be honest with you. Me neither. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think too because of the volume, right? It makes it makes when you have the higher ceilings and the bigger windows and the open floor plans, the the apartments feel and seem much bigger and open and airier compared to the smaller, you know, generic apartments that you see throughout New York, which makes them more valuable. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're certainly in a, in a in a place all their own, and I agree. You know, the classic loft spaces are typically you know two thousand to three thousand square feet and more. And as you guys just said, with higher ceilings and big windows, open kitchens, great rooms, you know, a uh, few walls if any. And the good news about that is you can create the space to make it look however you want to. We're going to take a break and come back, and on the other side of the uh, break, we'll talk a little bit more about lofts and then move on. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back with my panel. Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, Perul Brombat from Core Group. Rachel Altschiller from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren from Dalian Real Estate. So we're talking about lofts, and as Perul, I think, said a minute ago before we went to break, originally lofts were uh, the territory of artists or artist-type people who found it difficult to uh, do their work in smaller conventional apartments, and, and they usually lived in these places illegally because they were still considered commercial spaces. Uh, but they were vast size spaces, and many of them were downtown. They were also... And when they started selling, they sold as-is, meaning the remnants of the space's past lives exposed brick, rough columns, distressed flooring, and industrial-sized freight elevators 
survived. I remember some of the first-generation lofts when I came into the business 13, 14 years ago, and I still get excited every time I'm downtown in the Tribeca or Soho area where you still see some of those types of apartments. Uh, there's something to see, and when they create or, or you know, renovate them and, and change the elevators over to, you know, regular manned elevators, it's kind of scary, but the original first-generation lofts were really, truly amazing. Uh, the good, some of the good things are they feel uh, there's this huge volume when you're in there with the high ceilings and big windows. Uh, the place uh, will seem bigger than the square footage alone in most cases because of the, the volume and the windows. The flexibility of an in, uh, interior that's a blank canvas where a buyer could pretty much put up walls anywhere or nowhere, install a master bathroom or not, make closets bigger, make multiple bedrooms or not. The the, the flexibility of the the open space is so there. They're a good fit for those who entertain and some like the sense of history that comes from living in a space that used to be something else. You know, there are a couple of bad points that you can, you know, come up with some tire of living in these open spaces. I don't think I ever would. But uh, And some people prefer privacy of multiple rooms versus all open spaces. But again, because of the nature of these uh, types of lofts, you can create whatever you want. So guys, where, you know, when, when customers come out come to you and say they want to buy a loft, uh, where do you find them? What, in what neighborhoods are they most popular? Other than well, the traditional. Well, downtown. Soho, the Flower District, uh, yeah. Nomad is, is like my new favorite area. Uh, lots of like lofts there that are kind of under, um, I would say under market value because they're not priced below 23rd Street. Chelsea, okay. Tribeca as well, and somewhere mm-hmm. popping up on the on the west side, and you know the the thirties. Just well, I was going to say in the thirties and forties, and even yeah. you know even some places in the fifties in some of the older buildings, very far west, you'll see some of those, and surprisingly, not in in central Harlem. Yes, I just started seeing those. I do a lot of work in Harlem, mm-hmm. and it's really very exciting. And I don't think the word is out that you could find really good loft space in Harlem. Yeah, and and of course Brooklyn. We're forgetting about that whole borough over there. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So let me ask you guys: Do you do a lot of work with people who want lofts, either either from a rental perspective or from a buy perspective? I haven't had a client who's wanted a loft now in a, in, a, in a while, and it's kind of like I'm really looking forward to that requirement coming up again because not only do I love them for myself and would love to live in one, I like to show them because I think they're just so unique and so different. Anybody working with a loft client at the moment? You know, I, I have been, but uh, the thing about uh, lost spaces in general is, I think the frustration recently has been it's, it's, they really aren't as easy to come by, and uh, I think a lot of lost owners tend to hold on to their, their nicer lofts. Um, some of, you know, speaking of sort of the downside of lofts, um, sometimes, depending on if it's a mid-block sort of building, um, you know, there may be the, like, all the bedrooms may end up having interior spaces, in other words no windows that actually look outwards. As much as there will be a great room with huge windows, um, the drawback sometimes tends to be where the water lines are in the loft or, you know, where the windows are where you can actually create bedrooms in the back of the apartment. Um, So, you know, those things tend Mm -hmm. to be a bit of a challenge, but I think uh, to, I think it was Rachel's point earlier, seems that, you know, developers are really catering to more of that aesthetic because that is the aesthetic that is, 
so coveted. And in fact, you know, to our earlier conversation of comparing it to townhouses, I think, you know, lots sort of answer a lot of the questions that townhouses still keep open for our buyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I first came into the business, I had a, bu- a bunch of buyers who wanted to the specifically Tribeca neighborhood downtown because they wanted loft space primarily for families because they were getting a lot more space for their dollar in those days 13, 14 years ago. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, you know, you, they were able to create what they wanted to. Perul, you're right. You know, some of the, the objections, though, uh, in those days and, and probably still today are, you know, they're not the brightest and lightest of apartments. You know, a lot of the bedrooms are facing the back and a lot of them are just pretty much, you know, north or south uh, facing windows, so everything in the middle is kind of dark. But if you're out for space and you're out for square footage and you have a large family, Honestly, there's really not much to compare to that unless you're in a different category and you're buying a townhouse somewhere else. Let's turn our focus to the Upper West Side boom. I was reading an article earlier this week that says, you know, downtown may be enjoying more buzz, but the Upper West Side is still holding up its end of the conversation. Columbus Circle to Columbia University between Central Park West and Riverside Drive, including both parks. Guys, what are you seeing in your businesses as far as the Upper West Side is concerned? Why is this? Now, listen, you know, um, I guess in the 90s, the, the early to mid-90s, the Upper West Side was not necessarily the place you wanted to be. And certainly prior to that, uh, it was sketchy. It was a whole lot of things. But, you know, through the decades, it's become quite the place to be. And at one point, took over for the Upper East Side. Now we seem to have even another resurgence of the Upper West Side. Why and what is happening here? Well, the Upper West Side is very exciting for a lot of the things we've just been discussing. There's a lot of townhouses, and there are not a lot of lofts, but the things that these two kinds of property have in common is they are pre-war. They ooze charm, and the Upper West Side for what's considered, I guess, a stable, been-around-a-long-time neighborhood has all this charm. And I just saw this morning that there is a um, a boys' school on 87th and West End that was just sold, probably to be converted to homes of some kind. It is in a landmark area, but it still has the charm. And the great thing about a school being converted is it has the spaces that are more loft-like, and a developer could really work with that. So I'm very excited. And also what I'm seeing, you know, on the heels of that, Deborah, is, you know, there are several condo conversions of existing rentals happening as we speak. And to your point, these are pre-war older buildings, not new developments, but buildings being converted from rentals to condos. And quite frankly, you know, I'm seeing a lot of long lines at open houses, even though we're we're still suffering from a lack of, of inventory. As each of these buildings converts, you know, listen, it's another apartment or five on the marketplace, so you're getting many people wanting to go and and see the open houses and certainly buy. And again, the old housing stock remaining old but converting to condo. It's a loss of rental units, you know, in in, in some cases, but it's a win-win for buyers. What else, anything else? We've got about a minute left um, to talk about the Upper West Side and its recent boom. Do you guys see any other, you know, significant... Uh, change happening up there? The one thing that I'd say that I see is that there's not much inventory. You know, there's nothing, there's not much to sell. So when I hear of pre-war um, conversions from rentals to condos, that's really exciting because a lot of what you see is the shiny glass tower condos. <clears throat> and that is, is, a, is like a housing stock that we don't see much of. So it's going to be really exciting to see more come to the market up there. And I think a lot of my buyers are actually okay with giving up the views and light to get the charm 
to get the feeling of the neighborhood and to get the the parks. The, they're so active. They're more of the lifestyle versus getting an open view. So that's what I'm finding in my buyers on the Upper West Side right now. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. there are larger apartments up there with more square footage and um, yeah. more than anywhere else. And interesting fact, in August, the Upper West Side's absorption rate, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that is how long it takes for every available apartment to be sold in a hood, was 3.1 months versus 3.8 months downtown. So uptown is selling wow. a lot faster than downtown. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I was kind of surprised at that statistic. Anyway, guys, as always, thank you so much. We run out of time. I want to say thank you to Eric once again. Next week, uh, uh, I'll be back. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to being with you on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live on the Variety Channel here on Voice America Network. You could always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. Have a great day, everybody. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.